my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 550. Uh, 550 is kind of a landmark, I guess, kind of a milestone. I don't know. I have nothing special planned. It's a regular Thursday. In fact, actually, to burst your bubble, I recently moved the show over from one podcast hosting site to another, so that it's on different servers and stuff, and I'd migrate it all over. They let me know my count is actually off. This is technically like 558, something like that. There was a, I used to not have numbers on the episode, and like 200, 300, I don't remember. There was some point where I migrated over from posting the date to posting just a number, and uh, I guess I miscounted whenever that happened. So technically, like, it's actually 558. We hit our milestone, like, eight episodes ago, a hilarious little nuance that no one really cares about, but I think is funny. Um, welcome in. I want to start by saying I got a comment from someone recently asking, like, why do you use curtains behind you? Isn't it boring? Something like that. I, I think people don't understand. I'm in a concrete room. Like every single wall of this room is concrete. And I don't know if you've ever tried to record a podcast in a concrete room. It's a horrible horrible idea. The only way to make it work is to put black, you know, what blackout curtains on every single wall to deaden the sound. And uh, if I'm totally honest, I really miss the days of recording in a pickup truck. Like people hated when I recorded on a pickup truck and people find ways to complain about the background on YouTube, no matter what I do. But oh my goodness, um, I, I really miss the acoustics of that truck setup. Best audio I've ever had in my entire life. And, uh, you know, if anyone doesn't like the background, I apologize. I'm working on it. I'm trying. Your boy's balling on a budget. Uh, I swear, every day I'm working to make the show a little bit better, and I hope people appreciate it. But anyway, welcome in. Happy Thursday. Let's kind of celebrate to start the show. It's a big, really big event today happened. Um, and I want to just kind of share in celebration with Washington Commanders fans. The big news of the day is that the Washington Commanders have a new owner. So congratulations. The reign of terror uh, of Dan Snyder owning the Washington football team. Now, they were the Redskins. They were the Washington football team for a while. They're now the Washington Commanders. The reign of terror is over. Dan Snyder is no longer the owner. Uh, the team has been sold to a group led by a man named Josh Harris. I know nothing about him other than apparently he raised enough money to spend $6.05 billion on a football team. That's an insane number. And it's kind of funny, everyone's celebrating, saying Dan Snyder sucks, so oh, he got, had to get rid of his football team. I don't know that it's right to say that Dan Snyder lost. I mean, he, he just was given $6.05 billion. Um, that's a lot of money, man. I, I, I don't know. It's like, did, I know he doesn't own the team anymore, but did he really lose? I, I'm not sure. But uh, regardless, the team is now free of their horrible owner. And I expect, you know, seven Super Bowls to come for the Washington uh, team. Just kidding. That's not going to happen. But I, I am curious as the years go on how the culture changes in Washington. Hopefully they treat their staff better. Hopefully they treat their players better. Everything. It's an interesting change in ownership. And uh, regardless, the horrible owner's bad. I don't know if the next one's going to be better or not. We have no idea. Although uh, talking to Washington fans and hearing from them, it's hard to imagine there could be an owner worse than Daniel Snyder. So, uh, I don't know. Just kind of a, hey, let's celebrate. The guy, the bad guy's out. There's a new guy, sheriff in town in Washington. And uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see as the years go on what the change in ownership in Washington does for that 
franchise. All right. Um, look, I don't want to beat this story to death, but it is really, really fascinating to me. I want to talk a little more about the running back situation in the NFL. Um, basically, nobody wants to pay a running back after the rookie contract. Players come in, they give years of service, they get paid very little uh, in, in, in relative speaking compared to what they bring to the team because they're on a rookie contract. And nobody wants to give any running back after the rookie contract a second contract. Nobody's giving running backs big money. You look around the NFL right now, Kareem Hunt is 27, 28, 28 in August, uh, run for over 4,000 yards and a couple years in the NFL. Nobody wants him. Dalvin Cook is 27, 28 in August. Not on a team. Ezekiel Elliott is 27 years old, out of the league. He'll be 28 in two days. No team. Leonard Fournette is 28 years old. He's a free agent. And the world is realizing that, hey, when running backs get to like 28 years old, nobody wants to pay them. You get like four to five years, and then the life cycle career of a running back is over. So if you're running back in college, getting ready to go to the NFL, hey, it sucks, but expect your career to last five years and then the NFL is going to be done with you. They're never going to pay you again. Nobody wants you on your team. That's horrible. I hate that that's the reality. However, that is the reality of the NFL right now. And, uh, you know, Saquon Barkley is the biggest maybe star out there right now, running back that did not get a long-term contract. He's been put on the franchise tag. He's going to make 10 point. $0.09 million this year if he plays. Josh Jacobs didn't get a deal. Tony Pollard didn't get a deal. Again, Saquon Barkley with New York didn't. And we've heard Saquon Barkley be very vocal about this in the last couple of days. We could see Saquon Barkley even hold out and not play this year, according to him. He said, I'm considering it. Now, if Saquon Barkley doesn't play this year, he's not going to get paid at all. So he'll miss out on a little over $10 million. It's hard for me to imagine. That's a smart move. Um, I remember the last running back to hold out for a year and not play was Le'Veon Bell. He wanted big money, wasn't getting it. He held out, didn't play. It didn't work out very well for Le'Veon Bell. He never really got the money uh, he could have or, or really wanted. Also, Saquon Barkley cannot renegotiate his contract until next offseason. He got franchise tagged. So negotiations are done. Yet you play or you don't. And skipping training camp, he cannot be fined. But he won't get paid week one and won't get paid game checks if he doesn't start showing up. So what I, I, I talked with Marcus Whitman yesterday on the podcast. We talked about a couple solutions, what we could do and what could happen in the NFL, what changes could be made to help running backs and help the situation. The one I liked the most was one that Marcus suggested, which was to maybe raise the pay for the franchise tag. You know, the way it works right now is you get paid a, an, an average of the top paid running backs in the NFL or whatever position you play. That This year it was $10.9 million, or 10.09, 10.1 basically. And so you could say, hey, we're paying you the average of the top paid people plus 50%. Maybe that would lower the team incentive to franchise tag running backs. I really like that idea. But right now, Saquon Barkley not playing this year I, I don't really know what he's going to gain from that. For, from not playing, from not showing the world what you can do, you're not, it doesn't make you more likely to get a bigger contract next year, in my opinion. The best way if Saquon Barkley wants to get paid is to play this year and dominate. But even then, there's going to be skepticism because he's an older running back and people are going to say, hey, you, you were great last year. 
you know what, though? You took a lot of hits, and we're not sure three years from now you can still do what you did this past year. That's what the Giants literally just did to him. So I don't know. If I'm Saquon Barkley, make as much money as you can, take the money, and run. No one's going to pay you. You're going to get screwed over. I don't know that not playing this year would be helpful to Saquon Barkley. In fact, in my opinion, the only reason Saquon Barkley should not play this year and avoid playing is if he wants to be kind of an activist. I mean, that's what you're really doing is saying, hey, I'm going to take a personal sacrifice to not play this year and not get paid this year to take a stand and try to help other running backs get paid more money in the future. I don't know that whatever Saquon Barkley decides to do, if he decides to not play, I don't know that he's going to see the fruits of that effort, the, the benefit of that effort. I think he might be taking a stand to try to make it better for the next guy, the future generation of running backs, which is interesting and surely compelling if that's the stand you want to take. But if I'm Le'Veon Bell, or sorry, <laughs> if I'm Saquon Barkley, excuse me, and I got $10.1 million on the table, and I'm not really guaranteed to ever get paid ever again in my NFL career, I'm taking the money, I'm running with it literally, and I am not looking back. So I'm really curious. I'm fascinated what's going to happen, but I want to repeat this. If Saquon Barkley doesn't play, I view it as acti- activism. Not like, I don't, that's not a, I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but he's saying, hey, I'm not going to play. I'm not going to show the world what I can do. I'm going to sit out this year to try to help future running backs get paid more. That's a noble cause, but man, $10 million is a lot of money to say no to, especially when you're in a position that doesn't appear like you're going to get a, another contract long-term ever again. It's sad. It, it's unfortunate. Um, but that's true. So th- this running back situation feels like something's going to change. I'm not sure what's going to happen long-term. You know, college running backs are starting to notice. Quinshawn Judkins, the running back at Ole Miss, the leading rusher in the SEC last year, he said that this contract situation in the NFL is actually a big concern to him. So even the younger running backs in college are starting to go, oh, this is not great. And what I would love to see is a, a running back come out of college, go to the NFL and say, I want all my money guaranteed. I want a big contract because I might never get paid again. If the way the NFL works is, hey, you get a five-year, you know, a four-year contract. If you're a first-round pick, you got a fifth-year option, but you get a four-year contract and then you're never getting paid ever again. You better pay me a lot of money in that four years because you're going to abuse my body and run me into the ground. And that's the way the NFL works right now. It's uncomfortable for me to say this, but the reality is running backs get their bodies destroyed. They're not making generational wealth. And they're getting... I, it's kind of... I understand NFL teams saying, we're gonna, we got good value here. Why pay a guy a lot of money when we can pay another younger guy less money to do the same thing? I understand the value proposition there, but the human element of it is pretty brutal to say like, for four years, you're getting 200 carries or whatever, and you're running for a thousand yards and getting your body destroyed, and you're not even getting paid top dollar to do that. That's sad and unfortunate. And I really think the next generation of athletes, the guys in high school right now that are five-star athletes are looking at the NFL saying... You know, I think I'm going to play a receiver. Running back? Mm, I'm, I'm good. I, you know, I can actually, I can play corner. You know what? Like, I play running back and corner in high school. I think I'm going to play defensive back in college because running backs just get screwed over completely. Their careers are short. No one wants to pay them long term. 
I am I'm very, very fascinated to see the long-term effect of what happened this offseason to Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, and Saquon Barkley specifically. It was a big lightning rod moment in the NFL that I, I think five, six, seven years from now even, we're going to see the impacts of what happened this offseason because the guys in high school, the guys entering college right now, the guys in college currently, the younger generation, their eyes are wide open, they're listening, they're seeing what's happening, and I think what happened this offseason is going to affect decision-making for a lot of young men that play football across the country. All right, uh, there was some news. A trade happened. Not a huge trade, but a trade with interesting potential, in my opinion. The New York Jets traded young receiver Denzel Mims to the Detroit Lions. Denzel Mims is a former second-round pick uh, in 2020. He's 25 years old. He's a guy who I think has a lot of potential. He's six foot three. He's fast. He's got potential, but he's missed a lot of games hurt. Hasn't really shown up a lot for the Jets organization. It's also kind of interesting. You know, historically, Aaron Rodgers, the Jets quarterback, prefers to play with veteran receivers. He has not historically liked working with young guys. He's got to teach a lot of stuff. And they've certainly got a couple veteran receivers in New York and found Denzel Mims replaceable. They're like, hey, sorry, buddy, you're out. Not a shock. Denzel Mims got traded away. I didn't expect him to make a huge impact this year, given Aaron's preference for older veteran receivers. Um, here are the trade details. The Jets got a conditional sixth-round pick for 2025. The Lions got Denzel Mims and a 2025 seventh-round pick. We do not know the conditions as of yet. But one thing I'll say, I literally yesterday on the show talked with Marcus Whitman about the Detroit Lions. And one of the things I said was, I wish they drafted a receiver. A receiver, by the way, that Jordan Addison was in the news for another thing we'll talk about in the very next story on this show today. However, I said, I, I really wanted Detroit to go draft a receiver in the first round. I wanted them to get a big outside threat. I don't know that Denzel Mims is Jordan Addison, right? I don't think they're comparable. Addison's a better receiver. I, I expect more from him. However, I think there's potential from Denzel Mims that was untapped. I, I think he's capable of playing better than we saw in New York. He was hurt a lot. He, he didn't have consistent quarterback play. And when I look at the Detroit Lions, what they really are lacking is a big outside threat at receiver. So, hey, you see a young player who's got a lot to prove and a team that needs a young, good outside receiver. It's possible. I'm not saying Denzel Mims is a home run. It's going to work. Oh, my gosh. But there's a chance he becomes a solid contributor in Detroit and is exactly what they need. Who knows? Could be a total failure. But I like this move for the Detroit Lions because it, it addresses a problem they had with their roster, which is, to me, they didn't have a big outside threat at receiver. They got Amon Ross St. Brown. I love him. Uh, you know, uh, what's is it Jamison Williams? There's so many young receivers. Jamison Williams, I, I, I am so afraid I'm getting that name wrong. The first-round pick out of Alabama is suspended for the first six games of this year. So we'll see what happens. But Denzel Mims going to Detroit, a young player with a lot of potential who might do nothing. Might do something. I know that's kind of a, gosh, man, that's so non-committal. I don't know what to expect here, but I know that his physical skill set is really good. A friend of the show, Brett Coleman, really liked him coming out of college, out of Baylor. So this is a guy to watch in the preseason for sure. What does Denzel Mims do in a Detroit Lions uniform? I am very, very curious to find out. 
All right. Another young receiver. Um, we just talked about him. Vikings rookie first-round receiver Jordan Addison had an off-field problem that is very disturbing to me, especially given the recent history with young receivers driving cars. Vikings receiver Jordan Addison got pulled over at 3 a.m. driving a Lamborghini at 140 miles an hour in a 55-mile-an-hour speed limit area. Oh, boy. It's, uh, it's an example of a player lacking self-awareness, in my opinion, clearly. Not understanding the opportunity they've been given. He's going to play this year. He'll be okay. This is not going to, I think, affect him um, on the field. But it is a concerning lack of judgment from a young player. Who knows what was involved? Who knows what, what kind of night it was? I don't know why you're out at 3 a.m. if you're a NFL player driving a car at 140 miles an hour. But it's all bad. Number one, don't be out after midnight. It's not... I, I'm an old man. I'm 26 now. I go to bed at 9.30, and I, I understand that that's laughable. I'm not really an old man, and 9.30 is insanely early. But I got a job to do. Every day I wake up, I do my job. And the night before, I got to prepare for my job and go to bed early. It's a lack of maturity from Jordan Addison that is, is a little bit startling. You're like, oh, that's not great. And it, it's so dumb to be driving that fast given the situation you're in. Honestly, if I'm the Vikings, I'm punishing him by taking away his keys, saying, you're getting a driver. You, no more driving for Jordan Addison the rest of the year. <laughs> like, hey, you want to? No, no, no. I, and the government might do it for him. He might get in so much trouble that they don't allow him to drive and he gets license revoked for a little while or something. But if I'm the Vikings, I'm getting ahead of it. I'm saying, hey, Jordan, you have shown you don't have the maturity to drive cars anymore. We're going to pay you a lot of money. We want you to deliver on Sundays. You got to play at a high level. Let's focus on football and leave the driving to someone else. You now have a chauffeur for the rest of the year. It's totally unacceptable. I would encourage Jordan Addison to go read about Henry Ruggs. It's a, it's a heavy story that's not fun. I think the whole world thought that. Anyone who read that story today, Jordan Addison pulled over driving 140 miles an hour. I think everyone thought about oh, the other first-round receiver a couple years ago who did that. I'm not going to go into the specifics of what happened with Henry Ruggs. If you don't know, feel free to look it up. It's not exactly heartwarming, and that's putting it lightly. But this is a, it's a mistake from Jordan Addison. I'm curious how he's going to respond. Uh, I'm curious what the team does. We'll probably never hear the details of what happens behind the scenes when it comes to punishment and stuff like that. But if I'm the Vikings, I am saying, yeah, car keys, let's take them. No more driving for Jordan Addison. You are now a passenger for the rest of your Vikings career. We're paying you a lot of money. You got enough money now to, to hire a guy to drive you to and from work, and that's basically where you're going now. So I'm interested. That's uh, not great. So Denzel Mims was traded. Jordan Addison got pulled. You know, hey, at least he's fast. All you want from a young receiver is that he's fast. I guess at least he's fast. So two young receivers. Let's talk about a veteran receiver. I want to talk about the Tennessee Titans. I want to praise Tennessee a little bit. Uh, when I first heard the news that DeAndre Hopkins, the veteran star receiver, signed with the Tennessee Titans, I was disappointed. I was expecting or hoping he would go play with a great quarterback like Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. But he signed a two-year, $26 million deal in Tennessee. Um, this is like the third time I'm covering it technically because I talked about it yesterday with Marcus Whitman. But I want to just, if you're a Titans fan... 
I actually want to apologize because I think I spent so much of the time when I first covered this news, you know, DeAndre Hopkins going to Tennessee, feeling like, oh, man, I, I wanted DeAndre to play with a great quarterback and, and focus on that side of the story. What I didn't focus on really was the awesome move for the Tennessee Titans, which is them taking a risk, spending a lot of money, and going, get, and going and getting a great player. I love it. And, and I, as a, if I'm a Titans fan today, I would be so excited my favorite team went and got DeAndre Hopkins. It's such a cool move. Like, okay, it's a team that, you know, the, the Tennessee Titans did not make the playoffs last year. They lost the division to Jacksonville. You've got a quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, who we think his replacement, Will Levis, was drafted this year in the second round. And they tried to draft his replacement last year with Malik Willis. So it's a quarterback who's suspect, Ryan Tannehill, who's got a lot to prove and definitely needs help to win. And what did the team do? They got one of the best, definitely a top 10 receiver in football, DeAndre Hopkins, saying, hey, uh, we think we're close to the playoffs. We lost last year, but our quarterback only played 12 games last year. We got our starting quarterback this year back. We know we lost the division last year, but let's do something to try to make our team even better. And I really respect it. I really, really think it's a great move from a Titans perspective, which is their team making a move, taking a risk, and trying to make themselves better. I feel like that that's something I, I didn't talk about when I first covered this, and I wanted to just go out of my way to praise Tennessee for making a big, splashy move in the NFL. I love it. And it makes the NFL more interesting. It makes their battle against Jacksonville for the AFC South more compelling. I, it probably, if anything, tips the scales back in favor of Tennessee. Like, you know what, last year, their quarterback didn't play. Ryan Tannehill played 12 games last year and got hurt. So, if you're a Titans fan, there's a real strong possibility you bounce back and win your division this year. Last year, it was Jacksonville. This year, the media darling is Jacksonville. They're so great. They're amazing. Tennessee's going, ah, uh, excuse me. What about us? You, you forgot that last year, our starting quarterback didn't play at all. Uh, you know, at the second half of the year. And, oh, our defense is still really underrated and really good. Now we got DeAndre Hopkins. If I'm a Titans fan, I'm like, yeah, tell me again how great the Jaguars are. Well, what about us? We can play. We're awesome. And so... I think it's great for the AFC South battle. It makes it more interesting between Jacksonville and Tennessee. And then, you know, one thing I, I said this briefly, but I want to revisit too, is that for the parity across the NFL, right? For DeAndre Hopkins to go to Tennessee, elevates a team that was good, but maybe not great, and makes him a playoff contender. It, it brought another team to the table in the AFC to make things more interesting. If DeAndre Hopkins had gone to Kansas City or Buffalo, that would have been not great for the parity across the league of having another team that's got a shot to make the playoffs and compete for a Super Bowl in the AFC. The only team I would have, from, you know, from a wide-open NFL perspective, as a fan of all 32 teams, I just like watching football. I like when things are interesting. The only other team I think would have been more compelling than Tennessee, actually, was New England. You know, having... DeAndre Hopkins play with Mac Jones in the Bill O'Brien offense in New England would have been really cool. But well done by Tennessee. It's a great move. They went and got a great player. They gave him a lot of money that I think is worth it. And I just want to be clear, um, what an awesome move by Tennessee. I bet Titans fans are ecstatic. And uh, it's a really interesting, cool move for 
the Tennessee Titans and their fan base. Okay. There is a little bit of trouble brewing for the Dallas Cowboys. Their stud right guard, Zach Martin, may not show up for training camp. He's got two years left on his deal. He's going to make $13.5 million this year and $14 million next year, uh, which I will point out <laughs> is uh, way more money than Saquon Barkley would have made this year as a New York Giant. So crocodile tears a little bit. Like, oh, you're underpaid. Well, you know, running backs are getting paid nothing. So eh, whatever. But the other thing I want to say, he's only missed nine games in his entire NFL career. This is the best probably right guard in the entire NFL. And for the Cowboys to not have their best lineman, it's a big deal. He may not show up. He wants a new contract. The Cowboys apparently have shown no interest in giving him a contract. There's a not, not a lot more to be said about that. It's like, okay, here's a story. It, it's happening. But it's worth keeping track of long-term because if they don't have their star lineman, their best lineman in the lineup, that's not great for the football team in Dallas. And uh, it's not great for Dak Prescott. It's not great for anybody. And so, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm really, really interested to see how this plays out. I don't know. It's kind of a waiting game. But let's acknowledge that for the Cowboys to not have their best lineman, that's not exactly great. And that's definitely a big deal. All right. Um, that's like the new segment of the show. We got a lot of write-ins from Patreon today. If you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash Zach Shomler. Patreon.com slash Zach Shomler. It's a dollar a month. Please support the show. It really helps. A uh, dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. You can donate more if you want to. Um, a lot of people tell me I should raise like the, the minimum up higher and maybe to $5 or something like that. I don't know. I, I have a lot to figure out with Patreon. But I wanted to say real quick, I, I appreciate your support. Uh, things are in flux. I am figuring out how to bring better value to Patreon. Uh, but right now, what I can offer is if you support the show, you get access to submit questions on Patreon, questions to the show. I do not guarantee to read your questions on the show. My only guarantee is I look at every single question with my eyeballs. I'll read the top couple. I read as many as I possibly can. And that leads me to question number one today from Atticus. Atticus says, greetings, dear Zach. I have two questions. Number one, are we ever going to see Zach Shomler talking again? No pressure, just wondering. And number two, how confident are you that Geno Smith can continue to play at the level he did last year? First of all, Atticus, Zach Schaumer talking the other podcast is back. It's out on YouTube. Uh, we're working behind the scenes with podcast land. I am, am migrating hosts. So I'm taking my podcast from one service to another. And it's a process. It's a, it was pretty seamless with Strong Opinion Sports, thankfully. But I, we're working on it with Zach Schaumer talking. There's been some problems behind the scenes. I am working on it. It's out on YouTube and soon will be out back on podcasts. Uh, there's like only five episodes currently out because of some problems behind the scenes. Now, I will say, if you go to the Zach Schaumler Talking YouTube channel, there's a new episode, uh, 41, all about me coming back to Hawaii and coming back to doing Strong Opinion Sports. There's an episode I recorded before I moved to Hawaii. I just called it With Ethan. I think it's kind of on Zach Schaumler Talking with Ethan. It's clever. I think no one really gets it, but that's okay. It's it's my little art thing I do, whatever. Uh, it's in black and white because it, he had this like medicine, like hospital, you know, mental patient yellow behind him. 
it looked terrible. And I was like, I don't know how to fix the color balance of this. It just looks so bad. Like the background behind him is so bad. And then I'm like, I'll put it in black and white. So there's a black and white video on the Zach Schaumler Talking YouTube channel. That's why is it just looked more visually appealing than anything I could possibly do. I know people think I don't care about aesthetics. And I, I often say, who really cares? But I do try to make stuff look good. And believe it or not, the black and white was the only way to save that footage and make it not look horrible. But him and I talked a lot. He was a former therapist who switched careers and his dog died. It was a really, I think, interesting and compelling conversation with a very emotionally mature adult. So Zach Shalmer talking is back. Let's talk about Geno Smith. Um, can Geno Smith get back to what he was last year is kind of the question. Or how? What do we expect from Geno Smith? Geno Smith, the quarterback in Seattle, had a breakout year last year in his early 30s. Very cool. Theoretically, Geno Smith should be better, actually. They got him a new weapon. They got a first-round receiver, Jackson Smith and Jibga, out of Ohio State. So now they got three top-tier receivers in Seattle. They got Jackson Smith and Jibga, that rookie receiver, DK Metcalf, and Tyler Lockett. Man, um, I think it's it's awesome. I, I In fact, if Seattle isn't really good on offense this year. And, and I think Seattle or the 49ers are going to win that division, the NFC West. I think Seattle should be in contention. And if Seattle is not in contention, it's a problem. And we got to talk about moving on from their head coach, Pete Carroll. But I have high expectations and high hopes for Seattle. They got a lot of great receivers. They're a matchup nightmare. And I, I don't see any reason why Geno Smith wouldn't have a really good year like he did last year. Um, one thing I like about Geno Smith is he doesn't force the ball into coverage. He's really good at understanding, hey, if nothing's open, find your check down. I'm watching that show, Quarterback with Marcus Mariota, uh, and and kind of chronicling his struggles in Atlanta last year. And one of the things that's really true is that Marcus really struggled to not play the hero. He always wanted to take everything on him. If they were struggling, couldn't move the football, he started forcing throws and putting the ball where it shouldn't go and doing stuff that you're like, ah, you, you probably shouldn't do that, man. Like, that receiver's not open. Maybe take the sack. Maybe stop forcing it. He threw a couple bad interceptions, made a couple mistakes here and there because he tried to play hero ball. And the best compliment I can possibly give Geno Smith is, and I think it's something he learned from watching Russell Wilson. When Russell Wilson was in Seattle, Russ felt all this pressure and expectation to be the man and rescue the franchise, and he made a lot of bad decisions, forcing throws, trying to play Superman. Geno Smith doesn't do that. If nothing's open downfield, he is not going to force a throw into double coverage or try to make a crazy, terrible throw. He's going to you know, take a sack or run out of bounds or throw the ball away or find a check down. Geno Smith is very safe with the football, and I love that. I also like that when he gets one-on-one -on -one matchups, he takes it. Uh, he just is a very, very good decision maker. That's what I like about Geno Smith. That's, I like, that's what I like about what he did last year. And, man, I, I, I don't see any reason for Geno Smith to drop off or have a bad year this year. He did a really good job last year being smart with the football. That's why his completion percentage was so high. And uh, I, I have no expectation that he's going to struggle or fall off a cliff this year. I think Geno's in a really good position to do very very well in Seattle. Tim writes in, Tim says, Hey Zach, happy to have the podcast back and I hope you're doing well. As a lifelong Patriots fan, I gotta know if you think Mac Jones can be a solid franchise guy. He's obviously not going to crack the top five or anything, 
But seeing as he can, seeing as he has an actual offensive coordinator now, I feel as though he could linger around the top 10 because I think his deep ball and athleticism are better than people give him credit for. I know a lot of Patriots fans that don't feel great about him, so I was wondering what you think. Love the content and take it easy. Tim, I am here to reassure you and, and give you some peace of mind about Mac Jones. I think Mac Jones is awesome, man. He'll never be a top five quarterback. Let's, let's all be honest. Is Mac Jones ever going to be Patrick Mahomes? No! Is he going to be Josh Allen? No! But he can be Kirk Cousins or... I don't know who's a little, like whatever Matt Ryan was for a couple years at his peak in Atlanta. He can be a really great quarterback. He's not very mobile. He can run a little bit, I guess, but he's a really good decision maker. He's safe with the football. And this year, thankfully, I think he's going to get good coaching on offense from Bill O'Brien, their new offensive coordinator. That's a big deal, man. And if Mac Jones ends up being what Kirk Cousins is to Minnesota, that's a dang good quarterback. I don't know. That's respectable and certainly capable of winning a Super Bowl in my opinion, minus all the anxiety stuff Kirk has where he makes mistakes in big moments. I think Mac might be potentially better than Kirk Cousins, which is awesome. Certainly, I think you've already seen from his rookie year, Mac Jones is good enough to win a lot of games and do well in the NFL. Now with good coaching and better support on offense, he's going to be even better in my opinion. And, and one thing to think about though, Mac Jones is going to be learning a new offense for the third time. I, I don't know what the, do you consider last year a new offense? Josh McDaniels left, but they kept coaches and hired a Matt Patricia, a former defensive coordinator, as technically the play caller. It's a bizarre situation. But let's this is the third play caller in three years for Mac Jones in New England. He's going to be learning a new system once again. Let's acknowledge that. So as good as I think Mac Jones could be this year, I think you got to give him patience and realize he's going to be even better in year two under Bill O'Brien. The same reason I think that Kirk Cousins is going to be better in year two under Kevin O'Connell in Minnesota. Because the stuff that, you know, year one, you're learning stuff and figuring out where people are and trying to remember stuff. And you, you master it as best you can. But by the second year in an, in an offensive system, everything becomes second nature. You're no longer... You, you kind of know, but then you know stuff like in your bones. You know where everyone's going to be. You know every call. You go from thinking about the offense to just running the offense without thinking at all in the best way possible. And I, I think Mac Jones is going to be much better this year and then be even better next year in his second year under Bill O'Brien. And I hope the Patriots and their fan base is patient enough for him to get there. All right, the next question today comes from... Steven. Steven says, hey, Zach, are you seeing Barbie or Oppenheimer on the weekend of the 21st? Or, like some of us deranged film fans, planning to see both one after another? I'm stoked to have you back. Um, no, honestly, I have a lot of work to do uh, financially to get myself in a better spot. Your boy's balling on a budget. However, I want to say this. I, lo I love the question because, it, so I got to be really disciplined and careful how I spend my money right now. And I'm Trying to get through, once football season starts going, we'll be in a better place. And even then, though, I'm really just going to always be disciplined and very safe and careful with my money. However, I love that people are doing this. I love, love the cultural moment. People are going to see Barbie and Oppenheimer in the same day, back to back. Like, Matt and I are, you know, go see a matinee version of Oppenheimer and then go see Barbie afterwards after a dinner or something. And that's their day for Saturday. 
I absolutely love that that's a thing. It's hilarious. It's fun. It's so cool. And um, I just want to encourage more of that. Like, go expose yourself to whatever stuff you can. It's really cool. The more things you can watch and see, the better. And it just sounds like a fun date night. If you got a cool girlfriend who is willing to do something like that with you, go see Oppenheimer, go get drinks, get a little bit tipsy, then go watch the the Barbie movie. Like, I, I would imagine the Barbie movie's better drunk and Oppenheimer's better stone cold sober in the morning, right? But, um, and maybe alcohol's not your, um, the the way, the, the, how do I, how do I say this? What, what does Pat McAfee call them? Maybe you want vitamins before you see Barbie, but I bet that movie is awesome with some vitamins in your system, if you know what I'm saying. And, uh, I don't know. I, I love that people are doing this. This Oppenheimer Barbie double feature is such a hilarious, fun thing. Now, I, I think that is the way to do it, though. Oppenheimer in the morning, then go get lunch or dinner or whatever. Go get some food. Take a break. Have a couple drinks in your system. Get a little bit looser. Ha, you know, be in a different frame of mind. Then go watch Barbie, maybe Uber home afterwards. Like, that. that's the way to do it, in my opinion. So if you are doing the double feature, who who is watching... Oppenheimer after Barbie. I, I think the only way to do that is to watch Oppenheimer first. Watch this heavy, dark, really cerebral movie. And then the way to like kind of, how do I even say this? Relax after whatever heavy movie about building atomic bombs Oppenheimer is. To go watch Barbie and kind of chill out and let your mind relax and recover from the heaviness of Oppenheimer. That's the way to do it in my opinion. So, um, Stephen, my question for you is, are you going to do the double feature? And if you are, Tell me how it goes. Please send me a message. I am very, very curious. Okay. Kenny writes in. Kenny says, what up, Zach boy? Zach boy. That's a, I like that one, actually. He says, I just want to know why you're, why you so good looking, my man, over here with your curly hair, black shirt, and veiny arms. Always hope you're doing well. Cheers. Is Kenny trying to riz me? I've never, I've never said the word riz out loud until that moment, but I appreciate the compliment, Kenny. Thank you. I, I wonder if you have ulterior motives, but and do I do I have veiny arms? I guess a little bit. I never thought of it. Not really. Like I'm not. I don't know. I guess I guess maybe. Huh. Interesting. I don't know. Um, Aaron writes in. Aaron says, "Hey Zach, I believe the Jets were announced as the next team for Hard Knocks next year. I have two questions. Number one, what are your opinions on Hard Knocks in general? Number two, if you had the choice, which team would you want to see on it? I personally would love to." have seen the Browns or Broncos. Aaron, um, Hard Knocks has been a, an interesting journey for me. I used to watch every year really closely. Then I fell off for a couple of years and I went away. And this year, I want to get really back into it. I want to cover it closely on the show. I think it helps that I'm doing a show almost every day now, so I can fit in a segment about, you know, I, I before when I did the show weekly or bi-weekly, it felt like, or, you know, twice a week, it felt like I... I didn't have time for a frivolous, silly, lighter topic like talking about the Hard Knocks episode from yesterday. But now I, now I got time to do that kind of content. And that's really fun to me and stuff I like doing. So um, I want to I watch every Hard Knocks episode this year, follow it really closely, have a lot of fun with it. And if I could pick any team to be on Hard Knocks, it would be the New York Jets. Like I am very, very excited to see Aaron Rodgers on a new football team in the New York market. I, and Aaron Rodgers is endlessly fascinating. I think he's kind of painted as a villain in the media. I think Aaron Rodgers is woefully misunderstood. I really, the more I pay attention to Aaron and the more I follow him and see him and listen to him, 
the more I actually really, really like Aaron Rodgers. And I wonder if going to the Jets is going to allow him to become more of a hero uh, in the NFL rather than a villain. I'm not sure, but I think he is going to be, I mean, you know, I, I guess Hard Knocks always does focus on kind of the guys who are not stars, the people who are maybe or maybe not going to make the roster. Like it's about training camp in the NFL. So it's the the focus of Hard Knocks usually ends up being the four string running back, the fifth string defensive end who may or may not make the football team, that kind of stuff. It's the guys who are on the bubble who week to week they're they're playing in preseason and the guys who are on the bubble, the way they play in the preseason really is going to matter whether they get cut or kept on the team. So that's who Hard Knocks really focuses on. It's not quite like quarterback, that Netflix show that follows the star of the team really, really closely. But I would love it if we get a couple of good Aaron Rodgers moments in Hard Knocks. And uh, man, don't we all want that? We all want a little bit of insight into who Aaron Rodgers is. And I mean, I'm sure they're going to follow him a little bit. But um, remember that the focus of Hard Knocks really is on the players who are on the bubble of making the team or not making the team. And uh, you know, introducing us to players you probably never would have heard of otherwise. That's the focus of Hard Knocks, not Aaron Rodgers. But, man, I'll take any Aaron Rodgers I can get. I think it could be really interesting and really, really compelling for the Jets. Okay, Josh writes in. Josh says, Hi, Zach. It's been really great to hear from you recently. My question is, which one of the one-and-done playoff teams do you expect to make the most progress in their 2024 playoff campaign? Do you think any of those teams have what it takes to win it all next year? So the six teams that were one and done last year in the NFL playoffs were Seattle, the Seattle Seahawks, the LA Chargers, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Miami uh, Dolphins. They lost 31 to 34 to Buffalo. The Minnesota Vikings lost to the Giants 24 to 31. And then the Ravens. And to me, I, I don't know that any of those teams are really teams that have a shot to win a Super Bowl this year. There are two that are the best of the teams I just listed, the six, but it's most likely that we're going to see Kansas City or Cincinnati or Buffalo or or Philadelphia, one of these really incredible rosters that's a very great football team win a Super Bowl this year. Another team that's a dark horse, I could see like the Jets are a really good team that didn't make the playoffs last year that could be really good. But the two best teams that were one and done teams last year in the playoffs that I think are going to be back in the playoffs this year and might be even better are Miami and Minnesota. Miami and Minnesota are actually very, very similar teams in a similar spot right now. They've got great receivers. They've got um, coaches that were last year in their their first year. Mike McDaniel and Kevin O'Connell are offensive coaches that they were in their first year in their with their new team last year. So this year you got Kirk Cousins and Tua Tungavaloa in their second year running their system with their new coach. They both got new defensive coordinators, which is hilarious, but true. The Vikings actually hired former Dolphins head coach Brian Flores as their defensive coordinator, and Miami hired Vic Fangio. So better defenses, I think. Quarterbacks are going to be more comfortable in their systems. Both teams have two really exciting young receivers. You know, Minnesota's got Justin Jefferson and Jordan Addison. Miami's got who, what I think are the best re- two receivers in the NFL, the best receiver tandem at least, which is Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. I think Minnesota's more likely to go from one and done to having a deep playoff run simply because the NFC is not as loaded as the AFC. Like the AFC's got so many great quarterbacks and so many great football teams, whereas the NFC just isn't as stacked with great players and great quarterbacks, in my opinion, and great teams. So I think Minnesota is the team that can go from a one-and-done team to having a deep playoff run and maybe going to the Super Bowl, but 
Miami and Minnesota are two teams with a lot of similarities that are, I think, going to be better than they were last year. And for like similar reasons, it's crazy. New coach in their second year, new de- new defensive coordinator. Like it's really wild to me how similar Miami and Minnesota actually are. In fact, they're even alliterative. It's kind of hilarious to me. Um, so Josh, I hope that answers your questions, but your question, but Miami and Minnesota are the two teams I can think of that were one and done last year that I think could have a deeper playoff run this postseason. Owen writes in, Owen says this, Hey Zach, wondering what your thoughts are on Jordan Love and the Packers future going forward. Do you think sitting behind Aaron Rodgers was more of a benefit than being a day one starter would have been for him? In terms of offensive weapons, he has one of the worst wide receiving cores in the NFL and an aging Aaron Jones. Do you think he will be able to be successful? So first of all, Jordan Love sitting behind Aaron Rodgers was absolutely a benefit to him. He was not ready out of college to be an NFL starter. He needed time to sit and develop. And, you know, Jordan Love was a guy at Utah State that was super talented, but had bad habits and made some big mistakes and needed to sit and learn and grow. He did exactly that. He's still a really talented quarterback, but now he's had years in the system, learning from Aaron Rodgers, knows the system really well. I expect Green Bay to be really interesting and fun. If you're a Packers fan, I'm I'm genuinely really excited for you. You got a young quarterback who's going to prove himself, I think, this year. You've got a young cast around him. Christian, Christian Watson, your really talented young receiver going into his second year. I think it's going to be awesome. I think the Packers are a young team that's going to be fun to watch and have really cool moments. I don't expect them to win their division or really even challenge Minnesota or Detroit. But man, I, I think that it's a year of growing for Jordan Love where he's going to prove himself and be okay. And then next year, he can, t- he can take a step forward and be even better. But if you're a Packers fan, I'm really excited for you because there's going to be fun moments and young players making big plays. And I, I just think you're headed for um, a lot of success and, and good times as, as a Packers fan. And uh, I think Jordan Love is going to be really, really awesome. And I, I know that Man, the way he was drafted was controversial, and there's you know a video of Tom Grassi reacting to Jordan Love getting drafted, going, oh my gosh, what are we doing? But, man, I, I just think that Green Bay's got a bright future. And there might be some ugly moments this year. you got to be patient. It's going to take time for the Packers to go from what they were with Aaron Rodgers to where I think they can be if Jordan Love reaches his potential. But please be patient and give it time, because there is a lot of potential with Jordan Love, and I really think, you know, these young receivers, Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson, there's a lot of young guys trying to prove themselves in Green Bay, including the quarterback. And if you relax and allow them to grow and and work together and let it be fun, I think it could be really, really enjoyable to watch the Packers this fall. Pat Starfish writes in, he says, Hey, Zach's Visual System Organs, my question for you is, who do you think will win the AFC North this year? I'm glad you're back doing the podcast. You're my favorite creator. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Um, Who's going to win the AFC North? The Bengals. Next. Okay. Next question. I'm kidding. Um, No, the Bengals are the best team in the AFC North by a lot, in my opinion. They're they're by far at the top. Um, I think Pittsburgh is going to be a lot better this year than they were last year. Kenny Pickett's in year two. He can take a big step forward. I feel great about Pittsburgh, actually. I think they're going to be awesome, and I think they're going to challenge Cincinnati. Or If anyone can, it's going to be Pittsburgh. The Browns are a big question mark. They got Deshaun Watson, who um, I, I just don't know what to expect from him. It's his first time playing a full season since everything went down in Houston. Um, 
he, he's been a star quarterback in the past, though, and so there's a lot of unknown in Cleveland, but they certainly have, on paper, a good roster, but I, I just don't know what to expect there. Um, the Ravens have Lamar Jackson, who is awesome, but uh, I, I, just another big question mark. They got Odell Beckham Jr. They're, they're trying to win. They're trying to develop their passing game. We'll see. Um, and I think the AFC North is not going to be an easy division for Cincinnati to win. Like, no matter what happens with the Ravens or Cleveland or Pittsburgh, like, they always beat up on each other. It's always a tough, close division, even when the other teams are bad. And, and right now, the Ravens are not bad. They're certainly—I don't think they're a great team. They're certainly not a bad team. They were a playoff team last year with Lamar Jackson barely playing. The, the Browns are not a bad team either. They're good and competitive. The Steelers are going to be better. So I don't want to frame it as, you know, ah, Cincinnati is going to win their division with no problem at all. It's going to be super easy for them. No, it's going to be a tough, hard-fought win, but I still do expect Cincinnati to win their division. Um, And I think they are, you know, clearly the best team in the AFC North. Aiden writes in. Aiden says, hey, Zach, which division is the strongest in the NFL at the moment? Also, do you think the AFC East is experiencing the same weapons race that the AFC West went through last year? Will this ultimately end up the same way with virtually no change, just like the West did? So last year, Buffalo won the AFC West. Um, sorry, AFC East, excuse me. Buffalo won that division. Um, I So you asked a lot of questions about Aiden. First of all, to me, the AFC East is by far the best division in football. You got... The Bills with Josh Allen, they were a playoff team last year. They've made deep playoff runs like years in a row. They've actually, Buffalo's been a playoff team four years in a row, which is really cool for them. Um, The Jets were a good team that needed a quarterback, and they got a great quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. They're going to be much, much better. The Dolphins got better. They had a defensive coordinator, Vic Fangio. They've got two star receivers, Jalen Waddell and Tyree Kill, who are the best receiver duo in the NFL. And even if Tua Tungavaloa, their quarterback, gets hurt, they've got Mike White, their backup quarterback, ready to play, who's done well in relief of young quarterbacks before. And the Patriots are, I think on paper, maybe the worst team in the AFC East, but that's saying a lot. I mean, the Patriots would win a lot of other divisions, in my opinion. They're coached by Bill Belichick. They got a a young quarterback, Mac Jones. He's got a lot to prove, but I believe in him. They added an offensive coordinator, Bill O'Brien, who's going to be so much better for the Patriots offense. And I am telling you, like, if you put the Patriots in the NFC South, they would win that division easily, easily. They are the bottom of a really, really good division. The AFC East is absolutely loaded. They're the best division in football. And I don't expect Buffalo to just sit at the top the way Kansas City did last year. I think it's actually going to be shaken up this year with um, Miami and New York really, really challenging Buffalo and uh, the Patriots always tough to beat. So I, I man, I, it's hard to call that one. I, I really don't know what to expect from, from the AFC East, but I know it's going to be a bloodbath and really exciting. And by far, I think the AFC East is absolutely the best division top to bottom in the NFL. Josh writes in and says, Zach to the future. What's slapping? How realistic is it? Do you think that Travis Kelsey could retire after this year? He's 33 years old and playing on an incredibly physically demanding position. Also, Travis Kelsey's only 596 yards short of becoming the Chiefs' all-time receiving leader. In my opinion, if he hit that milestone and got a third ring this year, retirement makes a lot of sense. 
This pains me to say as a longtime Chiefs fan living in Kansas City, and any other Chiefs fans call me crazy at the suggestion. He's even publicly stated he'll make a lot more money in broadcasting after his career is over. If Travis Kelsey were to retire, do you think this would be the end of the KC dynasty? Could the Chiefs continue their dominance if they lost the number one receiving threat in the league? Or could Patrick Mahomes' talent carry the team to another championship? Wish you the best. Um, First of all, Josh, I agree. There's a very real possibility that Travis Kelsey could retire. If he gets, you know, that milestone, gets another Super Bowl, um, it, it, it's it's on the table. I don't know what to expect. Like, it, it, how, how am I going to judge what Travis Kelsey's feeling in his head and his heart and physically? Um, but I, I, it's certainly not an impossible thought. Like, people are, anyone writing you off saying, oh, if Travis Kelsey's going to play for the next whatever many years. Like, no, no, he, if he has a really satisfying, great year this year, he could walk away. I don't see any reason why he wouldn't. It's it's definitely on the table. Now, I, I definitely don't know how to get into his head and predict what he's going to do and how he's feeling, but I, I consider it a possibility for Kansas City. Now, that being said, if Travis Kelsey were to retire, Kansas City would be absolutely fine. They would be... Part of why Travis Kelsey is so good is because that coaching staff does a great job putting him in a position to be successful. He's given great matchups constantly. That's the thing. When people talk about how Travis Kelsey could leave somewhere else and go get paid more money, it's like, well, he could, but he then wouldn't play with Patrick Mahomes and he would not be being coached by Andy Reid, putting him in the positions he's being put in consistently, giving him great matchups, giving him one-on-one battles and positions he can dominate. You know, Travis Kelsey was an unknown player. Like, I, I don't know that that's, how do I say this? Part of why he became what he became was because of Andy Reid. And in my opinion, if Travis Kelsey retires, Kansas City is going to find another young guy to put in really good situations and succeed and win. Like, yes, they're going to miss Travis Kelsey. He's, I mean, the best receiving tight end we've ever seen, I think, in the history of football. He's amazing. He dominates one-on-one coverage and just consistently beats linebackers and beats matchups. It's, It's crazy. But that being said, I think they'd find different players to put into really good matchups, and I think they'd succeed anyway. I I don't think that the Kansas City Chiefs dynasty hinges on Travis Kelsey playing there. The same way it clearly didn't hinge on Tyreek Hill playing there. Remember when Tyreek Hill left Kansas City and went to Miami? Everyone, including myself, was like, ah, we'll see. The Chiefs aren't going to be the same without Tyreek Hill. They won the Super Bowl last year, and now we're having the same conversation again, but about Travis Kelsey. I, I don't buy it. Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid in Kansas City, they're not going anywhere. You can rotate people in and out of that building, but if Mahomes and Andy Reid are there, they're going to be a really good high-powered offense that's going to be a contender to win a Super Bowl every single year. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to go. I love you. I appreciate you. I hope you have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow. And uh, ba-dum-bum, bam, we are done. Hmm. I'm not going to lie, that, that, <laughs> I, I was planning on ending the show there, but it, that, did that feel to you like it just abruptly ended? It, it did feel to me like, hey, that, that ending came out of nowhere. I love you guys. Hope you have a great day. Seriously. And, um, I don't know. I'm going to play 
What am I going to do tonight? I'm going to watch a lot of that. I need to finish that show quarterback for the show tomorrow. Um, anyway, I love you. Appreciate you. Thank you, guys. Appreciate your support on Patreon. Hope you have a great day. And uh, 